Now, you've probably noticed it in many different settings. TV stations have stopped saying Happy Holidays now. Uh, the Christmas tree lots, they're long gone, about two weeks now. Even as the percentages are getting greater and greater, the, uh, the availability of Christmas decorations, the stock is going smaller and smaller. Where before, a few weeks ago, there were aisles and aisles full. Now, in some cases, only an end cap left. For some people, for most people, Christmas, the holiday, has come and gone, and now there's only 350-something shopping days left for next year. But for some of us, for many traditions in the church, the Christmas season doesn't actually end until, which is, which is Epiphany, Epiphany Sunday, which for us is today. And so in Epiphany, the time of Epiphany, we remember the journey of the wise men. And invariably, no matter where you go, somewhere across God's green earth, somebody's going to make a joke, not about wise men, but about wise guys, right? It's that time of the year when we recognize the journey that these wise men took to go see baby Jesus. And you'll notice that here with us as well. Next Sunday when you come, Christmas tree won't be here anymore. Poinsettias won't be here, the Advent candle will be gone, the banners will be changed, the things we sing about, the things we preach about, all those things. We're going to change our focus. Whereas if you remember in the season of Advent, we, we, we focused in on the coming of Jesus into the world, the coming of the light into the world, and we spent weeks talking about the implications and the consequences of what that means for us, what it means for the world. And starting next Sunday, we, we shift our focus a little bit to other areas of discipleship that are important. And I hope that you'll be able to see some of those themes. You'll be able to hear them in the music we sing, hear them in in what we preach about. Hopefully you'll be able to see them in the reading themselves. And for some people, that idea of a a common focus, a prescribed focus, is is a negative part of being church. That's what organized religion is all about. Well, I'm going to offer to you that I think that's a very good thing if we all have the same focus. If I can convince more and more and more of you to take time to read these, these lessons, these texts, before Sunday, if more and more of us do that, the chances of, of new revelation for us as a body of Christ strengthen and grow. When we can be about praying the same things, when we can be about focusing on our hearts and our intentions and our work on the same kinds of things, that is great for the building of a church. So I'm going to say that having that kind of intentional focus together is a very good thing. But in the meantime, the wise guys are back, right? Most of us have images in our mind of this story of the wise men, the magi traveling to Jesus. And for some of us, it's three men who have come a long way to visit baby Jesus at the manger. Now, You'll probably have somebody in your life, I always do, when we come to talk about the story, well, the church has got it all wrong. They don't know what they're t- there wasn't three men, and they weren't there at the baby, at the manger with baby Jesus either. Get it right, blasphemers. Maybe you've heard that. If you have, I would say to you, my advice, tell them thank you for reminding you of truth, because we don't know how many wise men there were. 
It's not until late in our church tradition that somebody wrapped the, wrapped the idea around just three people, but probably because there were how many gifts? Three gifts. And most likely they were not there at the manger. Especially if you look at the story, there's just some things there that don't give us that clue. Some people say quite the opposite. Jesus was probably eight years old by the time the Magi come. Regardless. Don't get into this, this idea of what's, what does it say. Because I'm reading a book called, what's that book called? The, 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 the Respect One or something. I can't remember the name of it. I was, anyway, I'm reading it. It's about relationships. And it says something very, I think, very true. You can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. And sometimes when we get into these discussions about, oh, wise men, astrologer, we can be wrong at the very top of our voice. So, so just remember that. But for today, as we begin looking at this, I want you to focus on the first two verses of this story. These first two verses of chapter 2 of Matthew, it's really it's mostly one, one sentence, one compound sentence that goes on. And in this sentence, the writer, I think, loads us with so much information that if we're not careful, we miss the point of what's really going on. He gives us such an, uh, a vivid image of what this story really means. How does, this, how does the story begin? In the time of King Herod, right? Some of you probably know something about King Herod. You probably know something about his, the Herodian, the temple, and all this stuff. You probably know something about the history. Some of you do. But for most of us, probably the one thing that Herod is most remembered for would be what? Killing the babies, right? Yeah. Mary and Joseph have to hide because Herod's out hunting the babies, right? Now, you hate to take one moment or one decision in somebody's life and kind of say that that's who they really were. But when, you know, when that's one of your big moments, it's kind of hard not to, King Herod, right? So let's put that in perspective. Let's just say then that that is part of King Herod's rule. In the time of King Herod, what kind of time is it then? It might be kind of scary. Might be kind of ruthless. Might be kind of, you better watch what you say. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the writer of Matthew has already told us from the very first chapter, very first verse, in the account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The writer has already told us who Jesus is, the Messiah. And he's already linked him to David, which is a big deal because David equals royalty. David equals the greatest king Israel has ever seen. And so just in those first two clauses, we have the, the, the kingdom of Herod presented and we have the kingdom of the Messiah given. A kingdom that so far is about purity and innocence and light. And just to make sure, he reminds you that he was born in Bethlehem. That's no, that's no minor, oh yeah, that's where he was born, that's where he's from. That is a significant part of the story because Bethlehem is the city of David. And then he continues, there's a comma there, and he talks about three, excuse me, I said I did it, didn't I? He talks about wise men coming from the east. 
Where do they come from? I don't know. Nobody knows. But they came very far. And they came for a specific reason. What did they come to do? Pay homage to the Messiah. Where is the child that has been born king of the Jews or king of the Judeans, better said? We have come very far to pay him homage. Now, what has the writer done? He's given us Herod's kingdom. He's given us the Messiah's kingdom. And he's got a group of people coming in, making their choice of which one they want to pay homage to. So it's no wonder that in the very next verse, the writer tells us that Herod was scared. I'm, uh, I'm easily convinced that there were more than three wise men. I'm easily convinced that there were more than a few wise men. If you look at the passage from Isaiah, some of the words that it uses, and if that's a reference, if that's a thought of, of how that worked out, you could easily say more and more wise men. And you think about it this way, if three guys show up to Herod and say, hey, where's this king? We come to worship him. I can discount three crazy guys pretty easily. But if I got a group of people coming in from God knows where, I got to pay a little more attention to that, don't I? I think in that we have an, an image of community that could be important for us. You know, it, it could be very easy for someone driving by to kind of disregard or ignore three or four people standing out in a corner. But what if, what was our count for today? Do we have that yet? What if 37 of us stood out there with smiles on our faces and waves in our hands? The invitation to come be a part of God's journey here. How hard is it to ignore that? But Herod's terrified. And what does he do? He, he, calls every, he call, says everybody's terrified, all of Jerusalem. Probably an exaggeration, but probably those people who needed to be scared were scared. So he calls them all in. And it's interesting to me, Herod asked the same question that the wise men asked. The wise men want to know, where is this king that was born? And what does Herod want to know from the scribes and the teachers? Uh, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And let me tell you why I think that's funny. Herod's in Jerusalem, right? Let's say Jerusalem's right here, right? Right there. Herod's in Jerusalem. Where are the wise men coming from? Somewhere over here. Here they come. Herod says, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? You know what they tell him? In Bethlehem. Do you know where Bethlehem is? Right there. Sometimes God is at work right under our noses. And we just don't have the faith or the eyes to see it. It's only a few miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It's only a few miles from these two kingdoms. One of them can't even find the other. Maybe that's a good thing for our faith to realize, but God is at work in many ways, whether we see it or not. But also, 
there's a big part of this story that really hits my faith today. What do the wise men come to do again? Pay homage. What does that mean? English? Let's speak. Does anybody ever go to pay homage? Anybody paid homage lately? Now, what, is that, what could that mean for us? Praise, give thanks, worship, right? I mean, you can pray, pay homage if you want. It just sounds weird to me. But you get the idea. Now, watch this. Wise men came all this way to pay homage, to worship. And they did not let anything stop them. Now, maybe I'm you know, putting my own self in the story too much, but i got to think for me, if I'm part of this group, whether there's three of us or 300 of us, the king sort of secretly bringing us to the side and saying, hey, I'll make a deal with you. Uh, you go out and find them and then come back and tell me, and then I'll, I'll go do the same too. That sounds a little fishy to me. But despite that, what do the wise men do? They found the star. They followed the star the rest of the way. And when they saw that the star had stopped, what does the writer tell us? They were filled with joy. Same way we are every Sunday, right? We come to church to meet the Christ, right? Better say yes. No, I'm... They were filled with joy. And then they probably talked to Mary and Joseph, and, you know, if Jesus is eight years old, you know, maybe they're playing tag with them, or, you know, who knows? But then the writer says something to me that is so important. He says, after all that, you know what they did? They paid homage to him. They did what they had gone to do. And let me tell you why that hits me so hard. Because in my journey with God, I know what it is that I want to do. I want to be faithful to God. I, I know all the things like that. But there are many times when I let something get in the way of that. Many times on that journey where, you know, the, the day is too hot or the night's too cold or the camel's too uncomfortable. And sometimes we can feel like, well, I just want to turn back. I've been traveling too long. I want to go a different way. I'm just not going anywhere. We let things get in the way of us doing what we say we came to do. We come here on Sunday mornings, and maybe we were up bright and early. Maybe we just roll out of bed before we get here. It doesn't matter. But we come, and we say we come to worship the king. Do we? I think a lot of times we do. I think a lot of times we don't. What gets in our way? And when we're here on Sunday mornings, we talk about, you know, learning how to be faithful and learning things for our lives that can help us be faithful to God Monday through Saturday. And then we wake up Monday morning. Sometimes we do it right. Sometimes we don't. So what gets in our way of doing what we came to do? You know, around this time of the year, a big example of that for me is this whole deal about, you know, Merry Christmas, right? But specifically when I've gotten in trouble from some people in the church, just writing quickly, whatever, and I'll put x must. <gasps> you can't do that. You're taking Christ out of Christmas, you humanist, you secular. Look what you're doing. You're leading the church. Where's the church going? You put Christ back in there. 
We can be right. We can be wrong at the top of our voice. Because some of us remember, you know, it's, it's one, it's just a word. Two, the, the Greek word chi is actually an X that means it's the first letter of, of whose name in Greek? Yeah, Jesus. So it's really not that big of a deal. Now, I say that because that's just one example. Here's the reality. Let's say, though, that that was the plot of the world to take Christ out of Christmas. Everybody replacing the word, English word Christ with an X. That was the world's way of taking Christ out of everything. You know what I would ask? So what? Because ever since Jesus was born, y'all, somebody's been trying to get rid of him. Hello, Mr. Herod? What's he known for? And that included your dear, precious Jesus as well. Y'all with me? It shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't surprise me if anybody wants to take Christ out of Christmas, wants to take Christ out of the planet, wants to, wants to do anything with Christ. That is nothing new. But what does that have to do with you? What have you come to do? Hmm? So what gets in your way? We need to stop letting anger and stop letting rebellion, stop letting bigotry, stop letting bitterness, stop letting unforgiveness. Is that a word? Stop letting hate, stop letting injustice, stop letting all these things get in the way of us doing what we came here to do. Stop letting abuse, stop letting addiction, stop letting everything, stop letting, you be honest and fill in your own. Stop letting those things get in the way of us doing what we came to do. Christ came into the world to do something. And nothing, not King Herod, not messed up disciples, not the Roman government, not the Pharisees, nothing got in his way of him doing what he came to do. And friends, Jesus' call to all of us is to follow me. Don't let anything get in your way. In Jesus' name.